You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. This is Kara Hayward, your host with the Payments Innovation Podcast. Excited to bring to you another series of the FinTech Karaoke series, focused on unique innovators and partnerships in the financial services space. I'm very excited today to have Isabella Gabowitz from Sensible. Welcome, Isabella. Thank you. It's, I'm really excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. Um, well, before we get started on some deep content here, I would love to maybe have uh, a quick introduction of yourself, of Sensible, and tell us a little bit about your background. Okay, so I am the COO of Sensible, and Sensible is a customer data platform, or CDP, um, and essentially what it does is it takes in financial document information for, from transactions, SKU level data, and it transforms it into actionable and accessible insights. And it's the only CDP that's been designed specifically for the financial services industry. And so as for me, I ended up joining this sensible, I think it's about six and a half years ago. I used to be at IBM for quite a long period of time, large, tremendous global institution. You might've heard of it and <laughs> decided to try my hand at something completely different. And so I joined sensible as part of the founding team. So we were about five people in size when I came over and it was really exciting opportunity in order to be able to just build something and create value um, from something that, you know, where there wasn't anything there and, you know, just see how the, you know, banking and the fintech industry has really been transforming and evolving over the last number of years. Yeah, it really has evolved. Isn't it amazing? I feel like uh, just looking back five years ago and how much has changed now. Uh, so it sounds like Sensible is still a relatively, you know, not super new, but relatively young company. What has the journey been of Sensible? Like, how, like how have you kind of shifted and, and proliferated with the, the industry over the past several years? <laughs> the way that I can probably best describe it as um, really, it's been quite a roller coaster. And I'm sure anybody who has been building up a startup can attest to the same thing. It has lots of incredible highs. It also has quite a lot of lows. There really is you know, the sense of just trying to feel what's around the corner and you can have the most amazing idea, but you're also working within an industry where you're continuously you know, testing for its readiness. So you can have a message where you know this is where the world has to go and you can see all of the trends in front of you, but you're also working and where part particularly in our case, we were never designed to disrupt banks. Um, we always wanted to partner with banks. And so it's bank tech. Yep. And so there it's um, very much a conversation that you have to be having with your financial institution partners to give them the, the peace of mind and the assurance that you are, you're, you're there for the long haul, that there's not risk, that you really do care about data privacy and security. Um, and you're also showing them this is where we see that the industry is going and come with us and take us with you and let's work together as partners. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a key key point there. Specifically, focus, you know, making that conscious decision to focus on the financial institutions. I think what we've seen over the last five years is that um, a lot of people have taken the opposite choice, right? Just said, you know what, banks move too slow. You know, we're, we have VC money that we gotta <laughs> we gotta prove out, right? And so I think it is um, it is awesome that you guys have taken that bank route and. 
I guess let's talk about that for a minute. I know that banks, I think that the consensus in the market is that banks know that they have a lot of data, agree that they have no idea what they're doing with their data or even how to access it. So can you maybe talk about um, the state of data in the financial industry and then kind of morph that into how, like, how the nitty gritty of actually how you're helping these financial institutions um, better understand and utilize their data? Absolutely. So you are entirely right that banks have no shortage of data. Um, and often that data is housed in a variety of different systems. They do have data warehouses, but there's it's often difficult from an infrastructural perspective in order to be able to make any changes to those, to integrate other systems that sales teams, marketing teams, operations teams might have. And so, I mean, this is actually one of the reasons why um, customer data platforms, um, which you know are becoming all of the rage across all of the industries, but are particularly relevant for financial institutions as well, is because you, you're able to get packaged software that is creating this persistent database for customers. And so you have a single place where everything about that customer gets unified and it makes it easy for other systems within the organization to be able to integrate with it and get that data about those customers out. And so really what the CDPs are doing is they're, you know, they're bringing that data together. So you might end up having a single custom record for, let's say, John Snow. Um, and in one place, so you're tracking all of the interactions that John is having with you over time. And that lets you do some analytics on John. And you might notice some trends. And so you might notice that John has started to interact with your company less and less. And so because of that, you might identify that John is high risk of churn. And so now when you're interacting with him, you might be interacting slightly differently because you're mindful of the fact that you want to be able to keep him with you and connected to your brand. And so... With that sort of picture in place, then you know you can kind of think of um, there are almost two different kinds of CDPs. There are horizontal CDPs and then there's vertical CDPs. Yeah. So horizontal CDP is going to do that for every industry. So whether it's you know whether it's media or it's retail or it's insurance or banking, they know how to bring together these and these are really scientific term here. These like blobs of data. Um, and just kind of like group them all in one spot. But understanding what those blobs mean, that's not necessarily what those systems will do. And so this is where vertical CDPs come in because they're actually going to acknowledge the fact that every industry has its own special kind of data and that data has meaning. And so um, when you have, let's say a transaction and someone shops at um, a credit card statement, you might know that an event happened at a particular date and time if you're just looking at these things as you know, events that John takes. But if you know that that transaction happens at Lowe's for $450, well, now you know that John is shopping at a home improvement store and you know that he spends above average amounts of money at that home improvement store. And now our CDP, what we do is we actually go a level deeper. We'll actually look at the line item date on receipts. So what we can do is actually understand that what John has been shopping for is let's say a new bathroom vanity and like faucet set. And so you've got more insight about the fact that John might be doing some home renovations and so now when you're doing those interactions, you're thinking about John a little bit differently. You might be thinking, well, what might John need if he's doing home reno renovations? Line of credit? Maybe he's got you know, some equity on his home and would be benefited from being able to use that in a line of credit in order to be able to fund his renovations with far less financial stress. And that helps John. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's it's uh, 
By the way, I love the Jon Snow reference. I was like, <laughs> it's good to know when he's over the fighting the White Walkers or buying something for his dire wolf. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, no, that's that's awesome. Um, and so actually, that's really helpful because I don't think I, I, I like hearing because you know I've read a few articles in the past about the difference between horizontal and vertical CDPs, but really hearing that example from the banking segment, like I think that's really really powerful because I think that's the key thing. I mean, to, to date, I still love when I get the most random like mailings or just things that are just so irrelevant. And I think about, I know how much those things cost a bank to send to me versus like having that like right at the minute that you have a need. Um, so maybe if you could talk a little bit about that, like how are you then taking that data and working? I don't know if you guys yourself actually provide some of that ability for the bank to then act on it, or if you're kind of integrated with other services that then allow a bank to action these, these data points. So many of the financial institutions, I mean, they've been around for quite some time, so they have an existing technology stack. They've yeah. got existing systems that already you know, store customer master files. They've got existing systems and processes that they use in order to be able to talk to those customers. Mm -hmm. So we're not you know, coming in and saying, we've replaced all of those systems. I mean, yeah. that's silly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we want to be able to like work with them so that they can be smarter about who they're going to target and understand a little bit more about what kinds of messaging might be might be more pertinent. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take in that information. So that the transaction information, that receipt information and build from that psychographic profiles that are going to be able to recognize you know, what kind of individuals they are. So as an example, one of our um, products we have is called um, customer segmentation. And so based on the customer spending details, what we, we use our machine learning models in order to assign a segment score to each customer. And so what that's going to do is it's going to tell that financial institution how likely this person is to fall into a particular segment. So for example, if that segment is new parents, then we'll be able to say across the, the customers and the data that we've consumed, we can say how likely they are to be new parents. And so from a marketing standpoint, and you're entirely right, you don't want to be sending out a marketing message that is noisy and irrelevant. You want to use that marketing budget the most effectively, the most effective way that you can. And so you, when you know you have someone who is a new parent, then that's the group that you tell about your 529 plan because it's going to be helpful for them in that moment. But to everybody else, suddenly hearing about a 529 plan, especially someone who's you know, leading up to like retirement age, that's just noise. Yep. And that's going to make them feel, you know, my institution doesn't know me, my institution doesn't care about me. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what, what, what would you say, you've mentioned before, you know, and this is something that's, I think if you're in the banking industry, most people are very well aware of this, just the, the number of different disparate systems that, you know, a lot of banks are built on, um, especially considering a lot of them are a bit legacy <laughs> in nature. What, what is the biggest challenge for you in, in actually delivering a product that is as comprehensive and useful as possible? Is it that in the sense of just the pure number of like, systems you have to draw from or is it something else you know what i actually so i this might be a bit of my own bias just from the fact that i've come from years at ibm and years in doing systems integration yeah. to me systems integration is just work yeah blocking and tackling <laughs> yeah it, like, it really is like you need to integrate between two systems you get parties from both of those systems to be talking together and they'll figure out the interface. They'll be able to figure out, you've got smart people on both sides. You're going to be able to solve those problems. I mean, ultimately we were able to put, you know, men on the moon. Like yeah. we, we really can handle <laughs> we can this. We solve hard things. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So 
I, I don't, I don't think that the technology problems themselves are the most challenging. I think sometimes it's more of a, the challenge of eating an elephant where you just kind of see something that is just so huge and you feel overwhelmed and it's like, where do you start? And the answer to that, of course, is with the first bite. And so I'd say it's really more that it's getting past that mindset of, I have to do this, all this huge transformational project that's going to cost me millions and millions and millions of dollars over six years and all of that. Just do one thing and get one step closer and one step closer and one step closer. And that's how you're eventually going to be able to eat this elephant. That makes sense a lot. And I actually noticed, I think on your website too, that you have, you have services kind of bundled in a, a bit. Like is it, so it sounds very, and I think maybe I saw on your LinkedIn or something like, we're not your vendor, we're your partner, right. For a financial institution. And I think that's so, so important because I know when financial institutions are looking at like the 9 million projects that they could do, like and they all seem so overwhelming. You're just there to be sort of a partner and take help them take that first bite, their second bite. And maybe if you could talk a little bit about that, is that your approach and, and anything to add there? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's something that I actually personally feel really strongly about from like a philosophy perspective. I just feel that, I mean, there's really, I don't see that things have to be win, lose or a zero sum game. I do think that particularly when you're in customer services or rather, you know, I prefer to think of it as like customer success, you succeed when your client succeeds. And so the more that we are there trying to help our clients make this experience as easy for them as possible, both through the integration perspective, but sometimes it's not even just, again, about the technical integration, but what decisions might they be making in terms of how are they you know, integrating the product or designing experiences for their end customers that are most likely to bring them the success metrics that are going that you know a year down the road, two years down the road are going to make them feel, yes, this was a win for us. Yep. And so if we can be consultative in that way to be able to help advise and remind, you know, ultimately this does have to bring you some quantifiable, measurable success. Not, it may be a little bit harder in this particular moment, but long-term, you're going to be happier for it. That's something that we need to be doing to, again, with their success, that's what brings our success long-term as a company. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple, a couple additional questions. So next five years, let's say in CDP. So is it just, again, taking more bites of the elephant and just kind of getting better and better what we're doing? Or are there any big things on the horizon that you're excited about that you think will transform this piece of the industry? Hmm. There is an aspect of it that, I mean, I feel like I should say something that's, you know, incredibly revolutionary. (laughs) Um, I'm actually just excited about the fact that this is getting so much attention now and focus. And it's so critical because particularly when you're thinking about the fact that you've got your giant tech companies that are out there and they are, taking away customer relationships and they're moving so quickly and they're providing these personalized experiences. And if financial institutions don't take all of these steps now, then they're certainly going to see themselves transformed, but not necessarily always in the most positive way um, in in terms of those those customer relationships. And they already have such strong ones and they also have the, the physical presence as well that they could be leveraging. And so the more that you can 
you know, pull in information about what customers really need. And you bring that to every conversation, every interaction. So not just the digital interactions, but when you go into uh, to speak with someone in branch and you've got a person on the other side who actually understands your needs, then just imagine how much richer an experience that's going to be for consumers at the end of the day. And all of that hinges on being able to, again, bring all of that customer data together and then also understand what it means. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you're seeing this new trend of embedded finance, right? Where you have even just like, retailers or other people adding banking services. And um, a lot of times they already have unbelievable control of the data. Um, and now they just add sort of that banking piece. So um, to have the banks make sure that they're understanding the data as much as these other types of folks that are starting to launch competing challenger banking services is so important. So that's, that's exciting to hear that like, we'll just keep blocking and tackling, biting off more of the elephant to help these banks better understand their data. Um, if I could shift gears to something a bit more industry focused. So I, this is something that I feel very strongly about. So the Canadian fintech market, real quick. Okay. <laughs> um, totally undervalued in my opinion. I think there's a lot happening there. Sensible is a perfect example of, you know, a C Canadian, you know, born, I guess you could say company. Like, can, like I just would love to say a few words about like, what, what should we expect out of Canada over the next few? Because I think it's a lot, my personal opinion, but I want to hear yours. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I certainly do believe that the Canadian um, <laughs> fintech market is um, undervalued. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact, I mean, there were so many years where VC money, especially if it was coming from the Valley, one of the first requests that a lot of the, the VC investors had was, all right, well, so come out into the, the Valley because this yeah. is where you need to be. And this is where you're going to be able to find the talent. The other thing too, is that there's been a lot more focus particularly from kind of the, the, the Silicon Valley investors, often at times on more consumer facing brands. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of tremendous value that can be created just in companies that are working with enterprises. Yeah. I mean, that, those pipes are not sexy, but those pipes are how money flows. Yeah. And so there are a lot of great uh, Canadian companies that are maybe not quite so sexy, but that are building strong businesses, really focusing in on how do we help these larger, larger enterprises, these industries, these um, institutions thrive. And so we can ultimately find ways to be able to, you know, change the customer's experience without necessarily trying to go viral because how many people are really going to go viral. But if we can help those institutions that are out there that have those relationships make those relationships richer for the consumers, then at the end of the day, that's how you kind of make that world better. Yeah. And then, and then of, well, and then of course, I mean, the, the talents that we have here is pretty, pretty amazing and how much we're able to like bring in from the rest of the world. And I mean, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I always say, I always think that if you can, if you can have to off the bat, understand how to run a business across borders, right? Where, cause like, obviously, you know, a lot of the business you do is in the U S and yep. based out of Canada, you understand complexity, right? And if you can understand complexity, you can go tackle those big problems and, and, and really get deeper, like a layer deeper. And so it's, it's a good experience for that. Awesome. Um, so kind of wrapping up here, anything else that you would love to talk about today, whether it's sensible related or CDP related, uh, would love to hear any final thoughts that you have. Yeah, sure thing. So this is probably a little bit more sensible related than, than CDP related, but so one of the things that I do strongly believe in is that you can really understand what a person values 
based on how they spend their time and how they spend their money. And so one of the things that we do on a monthly basis is we publish this complimentary, what I call little data reports called the barcode reports. And it's, um, you can find it on our website. It's not gated. It's bite-sized, easy to consume, just little tidbits of data-related information. And there've been so many really interesting insights that we've been able to find um, coming out through those reports. So one of the things was that we saw that pandemic stress baking isn't just you know this weird niche like Instagram trend, but it legitimately was a thing. Um, and we could see it in the spending because suddenly baking related items tripled during the pandemic. Wow. And, and um, like last month, we were noticing that consumers are no longer spending as if they're in a crisis and like stockpiling canned food. But instead, what they're doing is, you know, that spend has gone down and they're spending more on sanitizer and masks. So you can see that they're getting ready to go out into this new normal. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a teaser as well, because coming up in October, we're going to be revealing the answer to the burning question on everybody's mind. And that is, what is the de facto autumn pie? Is it uh-huh. apple or is it pumpkin? So <laughs> oh you'll, you'll be able to find out. Um, I am so excited to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking too, so maybe when we release this uh, podcast episode, we can, uh, there's a link that we can add that can sh- that can go right to these little bits of bite-sized pieces. I would love that because I think these are exactly the little data points that people want to hear, right? We really hear like, is the hype in the data? <laughs> And the thing is too, it's one like, so I, you know, I pulled out a couple of ones that were a little bit more lighthearted, but if you're a financial institution, and again, in terms of like how you can use this in a meaningful way, then knowing sort of what a customer's state of mind is, then you can speak to them with more empathy. So in the language and the tone that you're choosing, you can be more reassuring if you can see that they are more stressed and more cautious. And then you can be more optimistic in your messaging if you can see that their spending is showing that they're becoming more optimistic and you know feeling more comfortable going out. And so now, again, it's all in the, the tone. It's not just the timing, but it's also making sure that you know you've you've got that that empathy, that connection that you're creating. Yep. building trust, right? I mean, that's yeah. the key thing. And yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for that. Um, Well, Eliza, it's been so amazing having you on the episode today. Thank you for all your amazing insights. And we will uh, definitely add the little uh, bite-sized pieces (laughs) and the link to those uh, when we release this. But thanks and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. This was a delight. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.